0: This is one of those lessons that um, I planned on being short. And usually, when I when I plan on a lesson, it's not going to be very long. Then I have a lot of time. <laughs> that it ended up being really long. Um, as you know, most of you have been uh, looking at Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Uh, in relationship to the Great Commission, in relationship to teaching them to observe all things. If you go with me there to Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, we find the 11 disciples. We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28, you'll see that those disciples were members of the church that Jesus started. There were men that John the Baptist had prepared a people for the Lord. And the Lord comes along and calls them and sets them in his church and uh, commissions them. And he says uh, in verse 18, all power is given to me in heaven and earth, all authority. And then he says, go... And that word is not, uh, it's not in a, a command, it's, a, it's really more like a preposition. In, in going, uh, teach all nations, and there's the command. The word teach means make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. And then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And so what we've been doing is going through the Gospels and noting the imperative verbs, the Greek imperatives, which are commands, and, uh, and uh, applying those to our lives. What I want you to see this morning and, um, is that oftentimes we look at 19 and 20 Only, only in the area of evangelism. We look at this commission as a soul winning commission. But the word teach, as I say, it means uh, make Christians or make disciples. And so the Great Commission is much more than evangelism. Mm -hmm. They were to make disciples. And Jesus spent uh, three and a half years doing that. And uh, a couple of verses maybe, look over in 2 Timothy And verse two, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so we have, we have Paul, we have Timothy, We have faithful men and the others. Now here's what I want you to see. You should be in that someplace and I don't care what your IQ is. Some place you should be involved in committing what you know to other people. Let me just point out something here. Let's say, let's say, here's a, here's a, here's a soul winner, soul winner B, and soul winner A. Let's say that soul winner B can reach 365 people a year that are saved and so year after year year after year now that's pretty improbable but let's say he he can and here's one guy he reaches one in one year. But he pours his life into him. He commits to them the things that he has learned. And the next year, there's two, two, they're together, and they reach two. The next year, there's four, and they reach four. Next year, there's eight, and they reach eight. The next year, there's 16, and they reach 16, 32, and they make 32, and 64, and they reach 64, and 128. By about, I'm not sure, I I didn't have time to pull it up, but about the 24th year or on down the line, reaching one person a year and discipling them, your numbers bypass those numbers. You see, uh, we we want so much to to have quick results, I guess, but don't feel bad. We should never feel bad about pouring our lives into one individual who in the end can reach another individual. And and that's really what that's really what uh, this Matthew twenty eight is about. It's to be making disciples, to seeing people saved, to being involved in that, and and and, uh, and uh, learning. And so when we uh, when we come to our passage today and some of the things that we've been studying in the past, the, the Lord actually expects us to obey the commands that he gave during his own personal ministry. And what and what these commands, I think what we found about these commands, are these commands are more, they are much more than uh, separation standards—they're much more than uh, evangelism strategy, but they are—they are, they are uh, things for life. They are—they are, they are uh, challenges to the way that we think. Particularly, we find that in, ch- in today's passage in Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 12. Then said he also to him that bade him, one had asked him to come to a feast and, uh, and he says, when thou makest a dinner or supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maim, the lame, and blind. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. And so there's two imperatives in this, two commands in this verse. <clears throat> Call not, and he, tell, and he lists the ones not to call and then to call. And so when he says, to teach all things whatsoever I have commanded you, one of the commands that the Lord gives in this dissertation or not really a dissertation but this conversation is that we're to not call those that are our buddies, but to call those that are down on their luck. <clears throat> Let me read a few introductory things here. Real Christianity should be as simple as following Christ and following his commands. But actually real Christianity has been reversed, been brought down to how long your dress is, how long your hair is, how proper you look, how your church attendance is, how uh, you're involved in supporting missionaries, how you, uh, you manage your money. And all those are good things. But Christianity involves people. And you know what? People bring problems. And people can disappoint you. And uh, people can make you want to buy a cabin in the woods of Alaska and move there, and stay there, and argue with the chipmunks. The commands that the Lord gives, as we said, they're in imperative. And that's a good word, because they are imperative that we obey them. They're not suggestions. We're not to ask, should I do it or do I feel like it? But when the king gives a command, he doesn't really care how you feel about it or what you think about it or how reasonable it is. But he wants you to do it. And we wouldn't expect nothing else from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This Bible should be and is full of directives from the Lord. And when we find those directives, that's where the crisis point comes because we're going to either do it or not do it. And I've told you many times before that on the frontier of uh, America in the early years, the physician would often say when he's dealing with a, a really tough case in the home, said, well, we've reached the crisis point. And the crisis point meaning you're either going to get better or you're going to get worse. And the Lord brings us to a crisis point, And if we obey, things are going to go well. And if we disobey, uh, they're not going to go well. And so he gives a command call not. Now, when he says, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither the kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and recompense be made thee. The Lord, I'm sure, from what he teaches in the Bible and other places about family, he's not against us having family over for thanksgiving and special occasions, but having them exclusively over. And also, he addresses here why. he's dressing, He wants us, when we invite people, he's wanting to know what is our motive And uh, we don't need to think we have such pure motives. I mean, uh, on many occasions, (laughs) Susie and I have thought, well, somebody had us over. You know, somebody wanted, when we were newly here and they wanted to have the new preacher over or someone wanted to have us over, that naturally we would have them over someday. And uh, reciprocity takes place, and uh, maybe that's good, or maybe that's bad. But I got to not wanting to take invitations because being expected. I remember, I remember being asked by someone to go moose hunting, and of course I wanted to. You know, I'm an Alaskan. I want to get that first moose. But then, after afterward, the expectation that. Uh, I owed them something. If someone takes you fishing on their boat or lets you use their boat and then they want to make sure that uh, everybody knows about it, or you return the favor. And the Lord's saying, uh, that, that shouldn't be the motive. But our motive should go beyond returning the favor. Exclusively having family and friends. And uh, when it uses that term, rich neighbor, it's an interesting word. That word neighbor has, carries with it, and it's pretty much like today. It carries the idea of the same land, one living nearby, sharing ethnic and cultural similarities. And so, we open up our home to those who are like us. And don't think about opening up your home to those that aren't like you. And I'm not sure that, you know, today there are some fears and concerns about inviting anybody over. Uh, because of just uh, the evil that's in the world today. But there's other things we could do. And uh, opening up our lives to people. You know, I like I like hanging around uh, people who like hunting and fishing. I like sports. And it'd be pretty hard for me to relate to uh, someone who... Uh, likes to go to art museums. But they have souls too. And so the Lord, particularly here in relationship to poor people of the day, uh, he's saying that we need to open up our homes to them. And what has happened I think uh in my mind and maybe in yours well we have we have welfare now today welfare take care of them we have food stamps and the government can take care of them and the good or bad of that could be argued but the point is is that We ought to be concerned more than what they're putting in their belly. Welfare may give them food, but it's not going to give them life. And we as God's people, if we're going to be reaching people, If we're going to be reaching people, we need to be involved in people's lives. And I can tell you, after 40 years experience, that going down the street. Hello, I'm from Black Baptist Church. We're out visiting our neighborhood and giving out some information. Would you like to receive this? There's not been one person come from that. I'm not saying we shouldn't sow the seed, but I'm saying there's not been one person come from that. But there have been people who come that were single. There's a single measure down the road here when I first come, and they come around Thanksgiving time, and I went down there and said, hey, how would you like to come over for Thanksgiving? They're involved in their lives. And actually... (laughs) Actually, although this is, this is kind of threatening, that's easy. Because we need to get involved in people's lives. And this is what the Lord's getting at here. That we would, we would open ourselves up, and there and may be different ways that we get involved in people's lives. It can't always be a meal, or it might not be a meal. And we've got to get over the rich neighbor, the one who is similar to us. And what should be that that stands out in our lives is not that I like hunting and fishing and ice hockey, but that I love the Lord. And what the Lord has done in my life to change me. And the motive, the motive that the Lord is hitting at here is that, lest they also bid thee again and recompense be made thee. That they're going to be involved in the mutual admiration society. That I like being around them, you know. (laughs) My daughter-in-law, she gets on to me really bad sometimes, but, you know. Because I said I was—I said one time I really like that guy. He thinks like I do. <laughs> and she, oh, you really like the way you think, you know? And uh, and Lord didn't cut me any slack. But I said a lot of times that's the way it is. But you know, uh, the Lord not only liked me, but He loved me when I didn't think anything like He did, does. And so a lot, let's just be honest this morning, a lot of what takes place in church functions is just a social life. When the Lord said there's, there's the maims out there. And we need to open up our lives to them. Our motive. What is our motive? Well, they, they would recompense you again. But not, our motive should not be the applause of men and the recognition of men. And look what I did this week. Go over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And verse 2. Well, we'll begin in verse 1. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men, to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. One of the things that you need to understand is that in this doing of good deeds, there's not going to be a double reward. If you do it to be seen of men, they'll see, they'll comment, they may have an appreciation for what you've done, but uh, if that was your motive, that's all you're going to get. They have the reward. But with thou doest alms, let thy hand... Let, Let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thy alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. verily I say unto you, they have their reward. They're seen and they're acknowledged. After this manner, therefore, pray. And so, he he says, they have the reward. They have a reward. And then again, in uh, verse sixteen, uh, people who are fasting and have their face all covered, they have a reward. And so, we ought to do the things that we do, so we can be recompensed, that we can receive some kind of award, or reward, or acknowledgment. For what we do. And so the motive why do we do what we do? Why did we come to church today? To be seen. Because if we're not in church and we miss church a couple of weeks, the pastor's going to call us on the phone. What a ridiculous thing to come to church for. We ought to come to church because we want to commune with God today. And so he makes a contrast there in verse 13, but, a but is a contrast. Don't do, don't do the above, inviting your kinsmen and neighbors and rich neighbors and brethren but when thou makest a feast, call the poor the maimed, the lame, and the blind. The word poor is a very powerful word. It means, it means, it means to crouch. Or to cringe. It's someone over in the corner begging. He's so he is so poor. All he he can't work. He's so poor that all he can do is beg. And and you know they don't look up. They just they're shamed. They're not anything like what stands over there in by the stores on the center center there between the roads and you know and have their hand out and a little bit of money or I don't know what they're saying. And then when they leave, they go over to a car that's newer than mine and drive off. Pan, not panhandlers, we're not talking about panhandlers, we're talking about the poor. And it's a picture of a beggar. It, uh, it's uh, one whose poverty is honest, Poverty. There's some honest poverty where people don't make a lot of money, but this is abject poverty. It means he's uh, literally has nothing, and he's in danger of starvation. And then uh, the the we have the poor, uh, the poor, and the. The maim, the maim is someone who's been, uh, maybe his bones have been broken and he's healed. He's, he's somehow, he's maimed. He has inability, it describes a disability, usually of the lower limbs. They're crippled in their feet. And then, uh, oh, the lame is crippled in their feet. And the main would be more like the mutilated the lame and the blind and i find those words very interesting and we could go into them greater but i find them very interesting because these words let's see These words are perfect words. Good words for At one time, I was bankrupt spiritually. All I could do was bake. I was crippled. Spiritually, I was blind spiritually. And the Lord said, Come and dine. The Master called, it, Come and dine. And so uh, we need to, we need to somehow developed a world view like the Lord has. The song goes, if I could see this world, dear Lord, as though I was looking through your eyes. That's a good song. But oftentimes, you know, down in outers will say, well, you know, (laughs) they did it to themselves. As though we didn't do it to ourselves. And so the Lord's just trying to, I think, paint a physical picture, but also a spiritual picture here. And he says, uh, call those. And when we do, he says in verse 14, and thou shalt be blessed to be happy. It describes a person free from uh, daily cares. It's a happiness that is a divine happiness, its source is God. God resisteth the proud, but give grace to the humble. And God wants to bless us. And it's said in the scripture, is it not? It's more blessed to give than to receive. If you go to Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, and look in verse 31. When the Son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the, shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom for you, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered. And you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee? or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me." You think that's just historical? Or is that a concept that's for today? And so we need to check our motives. True uh, ministry gives without a thought of return. True uh, ministry is not trying to manipulate people and put them in a place where they owe you one. We should serve as though we're doing it to the Lord. And we should have a focus instead of you owe me one and, you know, I had you over, why haven't you had me over? We should focus on eternity. That we're trying to prepare souls for eternity. And sometimes blessings that we've given will come back, cast your bread upon the water, the principle will come back to you. But sometimes uh, people can serve and do something for someone And no one notices. Sometimes you can do things for people. And they never even say thanks. Mm -hmm. And so I do a little test. I say, well, how do I feel about this? that I've done for another? Am I hurt when no one recognizes what I've done? Do I feel like that I've lost out when I can't be repaid And so I think there are some ways that we can uh, there's some ways and modi's, we're talking about modi's. <clears throat> what are some wrong well we can we can some we can give or invite people or uh, or pay our tithe. A sense of duty. Uh, I remember this old guy got saved, and he had his. He found out about tithing, and so he'd come and he would say, well, "I'm going to pay my give pay my dues today," <laughs> or he would say something like, "You know." I'm just paying my taxes today. Well, what a foreign way about thinking about giving to the war. We, we do things because of self-interest, ourselves. That, I, you know, I'm uh, going to do this so people will see. It's all about, instead of about the, those that they're serving, it's about me. Sometimes we give wrongly to feel superior. I think we need to be careful there too. I was reading about uh, the other day about this uh, man or lady was in the store and there was this older lady and she had, her, she had her cart full of, not full, but had her cart with some food. And she was, uh, before she went to the checkout counter, she stopped over there. And, and she was going through her purse, seeing how much she had. And uh, she obviously realized that she couldn't buy it all. So she turned around to go the other way. And this guy immediately reached into his billfold and pulled out a 20 and ran over there and said, Hey, I saw that you dropped this. Here, this $20. And whether whether that's a little fib or a big fib or whatever, but what I'm saying is, is that there's a way that we can help people without humiliating them. And we need to find it. We shouldn't come across feeling superior or them feeling that we are thinking they're superior. And so what is the motive? Well, because uh, we, give, we give because, because uh, I can't help but give. The Bible says, the love of Christ constraineth us. There's are just that, you know, and I think here, and what we're talking about here, inviting and stuff, I do think that the love of Christ is constrained us in this sense. I think that we ought to pray about what we do, just to go out and start a a food bank on our own may not be what the Lord wants, but we ought to. We ought to. There ought to be something within us that constrains us to give. I remember as a young missionary, there was another older missionary, and he was having some hard times, and and I had uh, I didn't have a lot of money, but I didn't need a lot of money, and I gave him. I gave the church a hundred dollars for them to give it to him. But somebody in the church, I'm <laughs> still upset about that, told him that I was the one that gave it. Well, that wasn't the point, you know? And, and I think sometimes, let me just give you this advice, if there's someone in the church that you think has a need, or someplace where you think some money should go, then give it to the, give it to the treasurer and say, I would like for you to give this money to this person, but don't tell them who gave it. Because you want them to know the Lord gave it. The love of Christ constrains me, Mm -hmm. that I ought to be sensitive to the needs of people. And I think that's where this this whole thing kind of coalesces together. There needs to be a sensitivity for others and then I'm not just inviting people because I want to appear important or or to be recompensed, but there's a sensitivity that I'm wanting to help them. And it may be food and it may be something else. It may be a truckload of firewood or something. But but uh, let's let's understand <clears throat> let's understand we're not taking our money with us. And so let's put it to work for the sake of the kingdom of God. All right? And so the bottom line is, here's a crisis point. Am I going to allow myself, am I going to be uh, move within my innermost being to look to the needs of others? I'm going to just keep on working and I'm going to have this big house. I'm going to have this big car. And I'm going to have this and that for the sake of, I want it. You know, you can live in a really big house, lots of bedrooms, four bedrooms and four bathrooms. And be the most miserable person in the world. Yeah. And how do I get out of that misery? Well, I've told people a lot of times you need to get off your butt and go out and do something for someone. Yeah. Okay? And the Lord is commanding it here. It's not really an option. All right? So, oh me. You don't have to say amen. We can say oh, me, all right? You're dismissed.